0: I'm curious, what might motivate you or what would motivate you to leave your place of position, uh, like your seat of comfort, and to move into the slums to help the poor? Like what would motivate you um, to pack up your bags uh, and to move your family out of peace uh, and into the midst of a war zone, a place where children are being kidnapped and forced to kill their families? What would motivate you to move your family there? These are a bunch of questions that I asked uh, a bunch of Ugandans uh, and a bunch of Kenyans uh, in the summer of 2006. I was 24 at the time. I was a burned-out Buddhist who had recently converted to atheism, and they were a bunch of Christians. And their lives um, shocked me uh, just, as much as this story, as, just as much as this story shocks me I'd never met people like this before. They seemed like they were from another planet. And to borrow a phrase from Gandhi, they were the change I wanted to see in the world. Well, this semester, Jesus has been telling us a bunch of stories. Stories about a good world that has gone bad. Story about a God who doesn't keep his distance but enters into the fray. And stories about us, men and women, who want to be a part of what God is doing uh, in the midst of our beautiful but broken world. You know, last week we looked at Matthew 15, 25, 14 to 30, a story about uh, some workers who had some talents. Uh, and tonight we're going to look at the story that follows immediately after it. It's a story that has been nicknamed the story of the sheep and the goats. And it comes to us from Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 to 46. So yeah, grab a sheet of paper if you haven't done so, or cast your eyes up here, uh, and let's hear the story that Jesus has to tell. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Jesus, this is a, a beautiful story, but also a hard one um, to sit with. Uh, I pray that you would uh, impress upon us, impress upon our hearts, and impress upon our minds everything that it is you want us to hear tonight. And I pray, Lord, that in hearing you, uh, we would be changed uh, from the inside out. I pray these things in your name. Amen. There's a couple of questions I want to Ask uh, of this text, I think that naturally arise out of it. Jesus talks about, um, and yeah, if you could throw up just the first, thank you, uh, Genevieve. Jesus talks about the kingdom uh, in what verse is it? Uh, Verse 34. And I want to ask this question what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God that the ones on the right, the so called sheep in the story, uh, what is the kingdom that they are inheriting? Secondly, what does Jesus want us to do? And thirdly, who does God reward? Okay so those are sort of the three questions that I think are going to work our way um, or help us work our way through this this story. okay what is the kingdom of God? What does Jesus want us to do? and who does God reward? First, what is the kingdom of God? And answering that question, I want you to consider that right this very minute there are two kingdoms. In yours and mine, like in our midst. There's the kingdom of this world, and then there's the kingdom of God, a kingdom that Jesus inaugurated in his first coming and is going to bring in all of its fullness when he comes again. Okay, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. You don't need to use your imagination to picture um, what the kingdom of this world is like. I mean, this is easy. This is the world that you and I woke up in today. All you need to do is open your eyes, like use your ears, sort of have a pulse, and you will know what this kingdom is like. You experience it each and every single day, the kingdom of this world. But what is the kingdom of God? Well, simply put, the kingdom of God is our broken world healed. I mean, that's the simplest way I can put it to you. What is the kingdom of God? It is our beautiful but broken world fixed, restored. Everything wrong with our world made right. It means no more sickness. No more suffering. No more poverty. No more child abuse. No more pornography. No more sexism or ageism or racism, there's no more anxiety or depression, there's no more environmental degradation or pollution or poaching, there's no more mental illness, no more rape, no more wars, no more refugees drowning in the Mediterranean. No more walls separating neighbors or separating countries. No more abortions. No more homelessness. No more divorce courts or jail cells or loneliness or darkness. There's no more tears. You know, when I asked you last week to picture or imagine what the kingdom of God would look like or feel like, This is how you all described it. No more fill in the blank. And it's a robust picture. Right? It's a beautiful picture. It is our broken world healed. It is everything wrong made right. And this, Jesus said, ought to be your life's ambition. As we saw last week, right? Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words all these other things clothes and food like that will be taken that will work itself out that'll be taken care of but make this your ambition make this kingdom of god your life's work and in this story that you hear tonight you see people doing just that okay this brings me to point number 2 what does jesus want us to do now i imagine there's probably a couple of ways that we could answer that we could say jesus wants us to care for the least of these and that's true, right? Uh, it's, he makes that very clear. As you did it's one of the least of these, he did it to me. But I think, thinking big picture, what these men and these women in this story, what they really are doing is they're seeking first the kingdom of God. These are ordinary people just like you, just like me, moving towards suffering, not away from it, but towards it, with the aim of bringing hope and healing to a bunch of hurting people. Did you notice all the needs in this passage? There's quite a few of them articulated. I mean, they're kind of hard to miss. We go through the list two or three times, right? What about all the needs in the world around you? Do you see those? Do you see the thirsty? Do you see the hungry? Do you see the stranger, the outsider? The refugee, the homeless, the exiled, do you see them? Do you see the naked and the poor? Do you see the sick and dying? Do you see those who are in prison or in bondage? The reason I ask is you can't fix what you don't see. If you do not see it, you do not know it. If you do not know it, you do not love it. And you cannot fix it. So first of all, do you see? Secondly, notice in the story, right, the presence of God's people in the midst of the brokenness. Okay, the ones who inherit the kingdom are not those who've plucked themselves out of the darkness. The ones who inherit the kingdom are not those who've sequestered themselves from the brokenness. These are not people who have run off to some monastery in the Himalayas to focus on their own spirituality or to keep themselves quarantined from the sickness that's out there. That is not who inherits the kingdom. These are not people who have moved out of the neighborhood. On the contrary, these are people, these are men and women who have moved in. Right? They've moved in and they've decided to get in close. People who move in, not out. That's who inherits okay, the kingdom. Thirdly, look at what they do once they move in. They get to work. right? They serve. The services that they render are all pretty basic. Giving food to the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing those who are naked. You know, in the fourth century, there was a preacher. His name was John Chrysostom. And he pointed out that in this passage, we do not hear, I was sick and you healed me. We do not hear, I was in prison and you liberated me. Okay, Big miracles are not happening in the story, but little ministries are. And that's significant, I think, for a couple of reasons. First of all, anybody can do any of these things. And they're not hard. Um, but secondly, and I think even more importantly even though anybody can do these things, Jesus isn't asking us to do it all. He's not, he doesn't expect us to fix it all, right? He doesn't expect us to fix everything. Again, we're not hearing, I was sick and you healed me, or I was in prison and you liberated me, saying, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came and you ministered to me there. What does this mean? It means that we're not the Christ. Okay, Jesus is. We are not the Messiah. Jesus is. Ultimately, He is the one who's going to bring the kingdom of God. He is the one who's going to bring it in all of its fullness, who in the end is going to heal it fully and finally. But what He wants us to do until that day comes is to live humble lives of service that reveal what the future kingdom of God is like. That we would conduct our lives in such a way, that we would live it out in such a way that others who are watching would see, Oh, I get it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. I see it now. You give me an idea. In other words, Jesus wants us to be his ambassadors. He wants us to be his ambassadors. What exactly is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is somebody who officially represents his or her country in a faraway land. Okay, the United States has ambassadors scattered all throughout the world, and all the nations of the world have their ambassadors here in the United States. I looked this up today. The Chinese ambassador right, in the United States is a man named Kui Tiankai. Kui Tiankai. Now, if you were to meet Kui here at UVM, you would still be here in this country, right, on the soil of the United States. But in some small way, Kui has brought China to you. When you meet an ambassador, you not only get a sense of who this man or woman is, right? But you get a sense of what his faraway country is like. In meeting an ambassador, you get a sense of, oh, that's what their customs are. That's their way of life. That's the way they talk. That's the way they dress. That's the way they interact with others. Right? An ambassador is an official representative of a faraway land. And in meeting like Kukui, you'd be like, oh, I get it. I understand a little bit more what this place, China, is like. Without having actually been there, you've shown it to me. I get a sense of it from meeting you. And, friends, here's where this connects the Bible says that we are to be Christ's ambassadors. I mean, that very language is used. We are ambassadors for Christ. When you put in faith and trust in Christ, that is what you become. This isn't your home. Okay, your home is in heaven with God in the kingdom of God. That is your eternal home. But until you go home, you are here as an ambassador of the kingdom right here on earth you are representing that faraway country. Your life is meant to represent and to reflect who you are as a child of God and what your daddy's kingdom is like. Now, God doesn't expect you to bring the kingdom in all of its fullness any more than China expects Kui Tiankai to bring China in all of its fullness here to the United States. That's not in the job description for Kui. And it's not in the job description for you. But what Jesus is expecting you to do is to reflect the values of that kingdom here and now, in this time, in this place, to show watching world what the kingdom of God is like. And the kingdom of God as you've described to me and as we've talked about, right? That's a place where there is no more hunger. It's a place where there is no more thirst. It's a place where there's no more estrangement, no more poverty, no more nakedness, no more bondage. And we are meant to reflect that kingdom here and now and all that we are and all that we say and all that we do. And that, do you see it now? That's what these men and women are doing when they feed the hungry and give thirst or drink to the thirsty and they clothe the naked and they visit those in bondage and they visit those who are sick and they're moving in to bring hope and healing to a hurting world, right? They are representing Christ in His kingdom. They're showing us what it is like. This brings us to point number three. Okay, the final point of this sermon. Who does God reward? Because in the end, right, you see this, right? He says to one group, come, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And to others, he says, depart from me. Well, Who does he reward? Well, in verse 34, the king says to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you when i was hungry you gave me food and when i was thirsty you gave me drink and when i was a stranger you welcomed me and so on and so forth now look at verse 37 the righteous are looking at jesus right this king jesus and they're kind of puzzled they're like um i think you're mistaken because you said we did all these things to you but we didn't see you. I think you, meant, I think you meant to be talking to somebody else. We never saw you. And you said, we did all these things but for you, but we, we just didn't see you. I think you might be wrong. And the king says to them in verse 40, Now, like I know exactly who I'm talking to you. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. There's so much that's amazing about this. I mean, frankly, you could we could do a whole second sermon on that. We're not going to. Eber's like, "Thank God," <laughs> but um, I want to focus on a few observations just on that for a second. First of all, notice right that God identifies closely, so closely with the marginalized and the oppressed, right? The least of these. He identifies them so so closely with them, so much so that he says that as you've done it to them, you've done it to me. And Jesus isn't just paying lip service, right, to the list, list uh, the least of these, like, oh yeah, those are my people. We know that Jesus so identifies with the least of these because when he comes to earth, when the Son of God comes to earth, he doesn't come as a rich king or some beautiful celebrity. Or, popular politician. He doesn't come as any of those. He comes instead a bastard child of a poor teenage bride who's born in abject poverty in some backwater province of some country very few people can identify on a map. And he grows up in poverty and he works with his hands. And he says, right, like the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. Like, I don't have a home. I don't have a place to sleep. And this is the one, right, who suffers and dies. Some ignoble death, right, after being tortured. He's then crucified. Jesus isn't... Just saying that he identifies with the least of these. He comes as the least of these. And he does all of these things ultimately for you and for me. Right? Have you ever met a God like this? Like, do you want to know him? Do you want to know more about him? It's our goal that here at RUF, you would meet Him and encounter Him and get to know Him better. Secondly, as we think about this sort of unconscious righteousness, Jesus saying to them, you've done all these things for me, and they're like, what do you mean? I want you to know that the good works that these people do, these good works that essentially got these people into heaven were good works that they were largely ignorant of. Jesus is saying, you did all this good stuff, and they're like, what are you talking about? When did we do that? Oh, that little thing? Like, seriously, that was nothing. And Jesus is saying to them, no, to me, that was everything. The things, the little acts of service, the things that are often anonymous and what we would so casually overlook, like, I don't remember what you're talking about. Jesus notices, and they're not insignificant. That little meal that you share with a person in need, that time you you give uh, a little of your clothing to to cover someone else up. There's a great YouTube video, actually, of a man who did that on a subway. I don't know if you've seen it, Um, but it's gone viral, right? Um, These things that just that we might so casually write off, Jesus is saying, no, I've written them down. They're important. And as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. Thirdly, and finally, neither the ones on the left or the right actually saw the king. I mean, both of them are saying, when did we see you? Right? What they did see Neither the, the ones on the left or the right saw the king, but what both groups did see was a bunch of hurting people all around them. Okay, but it's at this point that the two groups diverge. One group entered into the suffering in order to bring hope and healing there. The other group, seeing the same hurt, seeing the same sorrow, kept its distance and did nothing. Nothing. The ones on the right didn't think they were doing anything special. The ones on the left didn't think there was anyone special to do something for. I'll say that again. It's my attempt to be a little bit clever. (laughs) Right, but listen. The ones on the right didn't think that they were doing anything special. The ones on the left didn't think there was anyone special to do something for. That is the sense of verse 44. When you read verse 44, what essentially they're saying is, had we seen you, had we known that it was you, the king, all along, well, of course we would have acted differently. And that's exactly the point. Kings we treat nicely. It's the little people that we ignore, which only shows that we so often act from selfish motives. The ones on the left, when we do that, when we treat kings nicely and ignore little people, what we're doing is we're really doing these things for ourselves. We're not doing things for others. Right? The ones who God rewards aren't doing it for the reward. They're not expecting it. They're doing it because they're doing it out of compassion and out of love and not in order to get but in order to give something away. I know as we go through this, and as we go through this passage, and as we, as, even as I'm talking about it, uh, talk about good works and rewards, it can sound a lot like, um, well, salvation by works. And you're like, is John saying that we're saved by faith, which is something I've been saying all along, or is he contradicting himself tonight and saying uh, we're saved by works? Well, I hope you don't hear a contradiction. I don't think I'm contradicting myself. Uh, From cover to cover, okay, the Bible says that we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory. None of us uh, is saved by the good that we do. We've all fallen short. The Bible says that we are justified by God's grace as a gift, and that we are saved through Christ alone and faith alone. I mean, that is the loud and clear witness of the Bible. We are saved by faith uh, and faith alone. But as we saw last week, true and saving faith always shows itself or always manifests itself in good works. Okay, you can think of it this way. Think of uh, salvation as a seed. Okay, and God has taken this salvation seed and he has planted it deep inside of your heart. It wasn't there before, but God has put it there. Like, I'm saved. Now, as that seed is watered and as it is nurtured, it starts to grow and it starts to bear good fruit. Okay? God put it there and it's being watered and it's being nurtured and it grows and it bears fruit. Now, the fruit is not the cause of salvation. The fruit is the consequence of it. Fruit didn't cause your salvation. God did not save you because of your fruit, because of your good works. But God, the fruit is a consequence of it. Because he has saved you. Good works follow. Now it's at this point that a lot of us go wrong. Right, because we ask ourselves, well, am I saved? And we are so inclined right, to look uh, at ourselves and obsess over ourselves and ask, well, is there fruit on this branch? Uh, I don't know. Is there fruit on this branch? Uh, I don't see any. And we start to freak out a little bit. Like, is there enough fruit in my life? Am I saved? Am I saved? Right? And instead of focusing on God, instead of focusing on other people, which we're supposed to do, we become really self-obsessed. And we do a lot of navel-gazing. And the irony, of course, is this doesn't bear any fruit at all. The way to bear good fruit is not by focusing on the fruit itself, but by focusing on Jesus. Think about the seed or this tree again. How do you get good fruit to grow on a tree? Do you staple it on? This fruit happened because a tree is really just thinking about it like, oh, I just want fruit and then pop, 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 pop. There's like apples and oranges all of a sudden on the branches. Like, is that how it happens? Of course not, right? Even, I failed biology and I know that's not the way it happens. Right? No, the way that a tree bears fruit is not by focusing on the fruit but by focusing on water and drinking it up and reaching for the sun. And in the same way my friends when you are not fixated on yourself but instead are fixated on the son of God and his righteousness and when you are taking in living water fruit comes naturally when you have not made fruit the focus but rather you have made the gospel right? that's how you bear it paradoxically As we sort of take this all in and, and, and we sort of, you know, put a bow on this, wrap this up and, 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 you know, give it to you to, to, to take home with you. Let me just say this. God did not save us from our sins just to save us from our sins. All right? He saved us for good works. He didn't just save us from something. He saved us for something. He saved us for good works, that we would walk in them. That we would turn away from our sin and turn towards God again. And in this renewed and reconciled relationship, we would learn what it means to image him once more. That we would, as his child ambassadors, show a watching world who God is and what his kingdom is like. That before we go to heaven, or heaven comes here to earth, we would be the change we want to see in the world. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here. Let's pray.